Listeners, you are going to seriously want to thank our next guest as she has gone above and beyond for those who want to pitch her a story idea. She has literally documented everything you need to know when it comes to pitching in a nifty little Google Doc, which we'll uh, put in the story notes. And it has every single pointer you'll need to know before crafting a pitch for her, such as how to pitch her, more details on the exact types of stories she covers, and even whether or not you should expect to hear from her, which I found really useful and good to know. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me introduce you to her. Amanda Silberlein is a reporter at TechCrunch covering how tech impacts people's lives with a focus on social media, the creator economy, and labor. She has also written for Business Insider, Input, The AV Club, Polygon, NPR, and other places. She hosts the internet culture podcast, Wow If True, and lives in Philadelphia where she hopes to one day meet Gritty, which I absolutely love that. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks for having me. And yes, meeting Gritty is a very serious career goal. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you get to. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have a selfie with a mannequin of Gritty. And when I posted it, people were like, oh my god, you met Gritty. And I'm like, no, it's clearly a mannequin. He's not looking at the camera. (laughs) (laughs) It's a gotcha moment. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I didn't think people would think it was real. I was just like, I took a selfie with the mannequin. This is cute. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Of course, we also have with us the woman who gets more press than a keypad, my fantastic (laughs) co-host, Jacqueline Lambert. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you. Oh, God, I just dropped my AirPod. We're on the struggle vest today. Yeah, clearly. (laughs) Let's just own up to it. Um, Not Amanda, Jacqueline and I. (laughs) Um, So listeners, be warned, we had some technical difficulties, but we're good to go now. Anywho, a podcast without technical difficulties, you know? So true. And it had been <laughs> such a long time too. You know, we just had to be reminded. We needed a humble reminder of how we're not IT people. <laughs> Did we ever um, tell the listeners that I recorded my closet? I can never remember. We actually I'm pretty remember. sure it's come out and we'll have to post that picture you sent me last week because it's hilarious. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> so unflattering. Anyway. No, it's great. It looks fabulous. I mean, what are you talking about? It's very grassroots, you know, really like at home pandemic podcasting. What more can you want? It's true. So true. We're, we're authentic here. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's like go ahead and try to actually talk about work stuff. <laughs> um, but of course, side side tangents are always welcomed. Um Why don't we go ahead and start by having you give a quick overview of the article that we're going to be diving into today, Amanda? Yeah, so this is an article that I wrote at the end of October about a social media app called Flox, F-L-O-X, and the headline is, Flox, an app to help friend groups meet each other, is wooing college students in New York City. And basically, the story is the founder, Jamie Lee, is a uh, recent college dropout from Columbia and um, people were telling her be more like Mark Zuckerberg when you're pitching and kind of just like trying to mold her into something that she's not and that was compelling to me as a founder story because I'm very interested in founders that aren't your typical like white dude Mark Zuckerberg type and Um, The app Flocks itself is sort of like 
Tinder for making friends, except you're in groups with your friends. So it's kind of similar to like actually a couple years ago, Tinder had a feature that was like group swiping where you're with a group of friends, but like you're trying to make friends with other groups of friends. But it was weird because it was on Tinder. So people associate that with like not making friends. But this was a bit more of something that was just for the sake of explicitly making friends and like being kind of in a safe space where you're with your other friends as you're using the app and it kind of makes the experience of meeting people on the internet a little less scary and I particularly liked this because since the founder is so young she lived through um having the pandemic and isolation impact her college experience and I feel like for me, if I had like fewer years in college, I would have had a much harder time making friends. And I think that that is an issue. Like it sucks for college students that didn't get to make friends in college because they were at home in their childhood bedroom. I think this was just a cool way of figuring out like using tech to solve making friends, but in a really (laughs) wholesome way. And there's just a lot about this that captivated me, even though the funding round was a $1.2 million seed round, which I think sometimes journalists and PR people might balk at that as like a small seed round, but I didn't really care about the amount. I just thought it was a really interesting story. So I was excited to cover it. So my favorite thing that you said, well, one of them, I mean, first of all, the fact that um, the founder said yuck to be more like Zuck and decided to, you know, make her own way and, you know, really took charge and owned her, uh, how she's the total opposite of that. Um, I also really liked and what stands out to me personally is how you didn't care about the amount of money that they raised. The story genuinely um, interested you because it resonates maybe with um, an experience that you had or you can resonate and have empathy for the customers that this app is trying to target mm-hmm. or yeah. users, I should say. Yeah, not to get too already into like, why was this pitch interesting to me? But I think just like, this might be more for me specifically because I don't come from a super strong techie background. Like my introduction into tech journalism is more so through like internet culture and social media than it is the startup realm so like I just don't really care that much how much money a company has raised like I know that the outlet I write for specifically TechCrunch likes to cover funding raises but they're not really super um there's no rules about how big a round needs to be to cover okay and i love that okay yeah like i've never had anybody tell me like that's a small round like maybe people will say hey this company just raised an exceptionally an exceptionally big round maybe that means we should take a closer look but if people ultimately don't think it's interesting then they're not going to cover it and I feel like even other people at TechCrunch might take a different approach to this. But for me, I just care more about, is this a story that I'm interested in than how much money did they raise? Right. So I'm looking at the pitch now and I noticed that the subject line says, Flox raises $1.2 million to build group social networking. 
And um, we already got permission from the sender, Ariella Steinhorn. We'll mention her name now because she'll, of course, get major kudos for writing this fantastic winning pitch. Um, But what I'm curious to know is the subject line was like the selling point that she kind of emphasized with the subject line in my mind is the funding. So um, what about the subject line? Did that encourage you to open it or? Um, I would say I feel pretty neutral about the subject line. I don't think that really grabbed me. I think it was more so like, even when I was just explaining to you, like, what I remember about this story, and now it's been, like, three months since I wrote this, so I kind of had to refresh my memory, but I think I just really remember the story of, like, a woman of color founder, which is very rare in tech, let alone a college dropout who's still in her early 20s, like, making this very bold move to drop out to build an app that she thought that her friends would need and something that she wanted to build because she wanted it. And then facing these challenges of being not just an underrepresented founder, but also being told, oh, be more like this guy who, like, I just feel like the advice of be more like Zuck is so weird because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, do you want to, like, have to testify before the Senate about, like, whether or not your company (laughs) is, like, doing terrible things? Like, that doesn't really feel like... I don't know like maybe that advice would be good several years ago but yeah Uh, Uh, I I see now though see your I know this because I've read your how to pitch me document which we'll link to which is fantastic Mm -hmm. you were an (laughs) inbox zero person and I, I almost forgot that so you didn't open this because the subject line intrigued you you opened it because you're a saint. <laughs> oh my god. No, I mean, I feel like when I say I'm an inbox zero person, it's like, okay, right now, actually, I have an email in my inbox. We're doing this live. Um, Do you want to eh. check it really quick? Oh, no. I mean, I was just saying, like, let <laughs> oh. me show you my approach to answering an email. And I opened the email and I was just like, okay, this is from a company that I cover. But the thing that they're pitching me is like an extremely minor thing that mm. doesn't matter. So I'm just right. not going to See there, there, there it was. I looked at an email. Okay, <laughs> you've gotcha. seen it here first. I liked. I love that. Thank you. I needed to see. But that. <laughs> no, I think like even if I literally just like swipe on my phone and click the mark red button, like I don't think being an inbox zero person for me means that I read every email, but I at least see every email. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes this subject line of the pitch isn't like the greatest subject line I've seen but I at least am like okay social networking that's something I cover let me just open it and glance at it and then I see this like Jamie Lee the founder of Flocks dropped out of Columbia University her senior year to build Flocks a social app that is gaining grassroots traction among college students in New York Despite being told to be more like Zuck during fundraising, she was eventually able to raise funds and so on. And I guess that grabbed me. And I also skipped the first line where she just says, Hi, Amanda, I saw you wrote about Cobalt, which is another thing I wrote. So I thought this might be of interest, which I do think it is very like common advice, even on the journalist side. Like right now I'm writing at TechCrunch pretty much full-time, but in the past I used to just be like all over the place freelancing. And that is sort of 
a common tactic that even journalists are told to be like, hey, NPR, I loved this story you did recently about this cool art exhibit. And now I'm going to pitch you about this other art exhibit because maybe you're interested in art exhibits right now. And so that's kind of what this PR person was doing here where she was like, hey, I saw you wrote about this other consumer product. Here's another consumer product. Mm -hmm. Which I know that's kind of just like a thing out of the PR playbook, but I think even just saying here's another story you wrote at least tells me that this person knows what I write about where sometimes like I'll get emails that are like you write excellent articles about social media and I'm like (laughs) this is just me but I'm like that that makes me think that you didn't read any of my articles but maybe they do think I write excellent (laughs) articles about social media I don't know (laughs) yeah that's so funny I can't believe like what you said about um how journalists are also given that advice too. I don't think we've been told that by yeah. another. I don't guest know. Of I <laughs> I also did a PR internship at one point, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's that's a fun fact. <laughs> yeah. That is a fun, a fun fact. fact. What made you decide to go into journalism instead of PR um, if that was even a decision I mean, that you made? <laughs> I always more so wanted to do journalism, but I just kind of took this internship because like it was paid and I wanted to live in New York at the time. Now I'm like, I don't want to live in New York. I live in Philly now. But at the time I was like, I really want to try living in New York. And there was just this paid opportunity. And I was like, Hey, maybe PR is like something I'd be interested in. I like communication stuff, but it was something where like, I think there's an alternate universe where maybe I could have been a PR person, but that's just not what happened in life. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Um, I'm looking at this pitch. I don't know if it's the way it was copied and pasted. Did she sign off and say goodbye? Her Um, name or was it just like... No. Interesting. Okay, cool. I love this because I think Mm -hmm. sometimes, at least for me, like if I get in the mode of being too anxious to send an email right away, I like worry so much about it being perfect in every possible way but it sounds like it's okay to like pass something off it doesn't have to be the perfect subject line every time it's Mm -hmm. really at the heart of it catching the journalist's attention with that story Um, yeah and I also think I mean there's so many comparisons I feel like between publicists trying to get journalists attention and freelance journalists trying to get editors attention where Mm, reminds me also where I'm just going off script and skipping questions but one of your questions was that like there's kind of a disagreement about like should you send emails at 10 a.m on Monday or at like is it the worst thing in the world to pitch somebody at like 4 p.m. on Friday? And I feel like freelance journalists talk about this a lot too. And I always tell people just like, we have so much to worry about. If we worry about what time we're sending emails, we're just never going to get anything done. And it's true. Solid advice. I don't know. I mean, there there maybe is something to say about like, most people are pretty checked out by 4 p.m. on a Friday. But if you're like, should I send this email on Monday or Tuesday? It's like, I don't think it matters. Yeah, and I think especially like in the example of this pitch, worrying – we sometimes worry a lot about how we're going to even sign off on an email. And this 
publicist or PR person didn't care about that at all. And she won the pitch. So it yeah, goes to I, show that that's just I didn't love TechCrunch coverage. Like that is, this is a huge thing that she accomplished. And yeah, and just in the eyes of a fellow publicist, like not, this is like a dream publication for so many people, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't even notice that she didn't sign off until now. But I mean, I think also it's so interesting to hear TechCrunch like thought of in that way, because I think it's also something that speaks to the randomness of this, where like, I'm sure that there's a ton of people at TechCrunch that would have just like not been interested in this for whatever reason. Like, if somebody doesn't write about social media, then they wouldn't care. Like if somebody pitched me like, the coolest new fintech thing ever i would be like i don't know about like i don't cover fintech i wouldn't be able to recognize like this is the coolest new thing in fintech (laughs) like i don't know i think like every publication you're gonna get kind of different responses well i wouldn't say to like pitch a ton of people at the same time at the same publication because i think people get rubbed the wrong way by that because it seems like you're sort of trying to like be like oh Amanda said no so I'm gonna pitch this other person that like it's a small enough publication like we all talk to each other so it's like there have been situations where somebody pitches me and I say no and then they pitch somebody else at TechCrunch and then that person is like hmm I'm considering this company and I'm like oh, I said no to them. It's kind of shady that they went to you at the same publication after I said no, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I like hearing that. Um, I like, because I've often wondered that as well. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's etiquette in your eyes? Like if, if you said no to just like move on basically? Yeah, I feel like for the most part, if you pitch a writer at a publication, I guess the first step would just be making sure you're pitching the right writer, which like for me personally, I don't mind if somebody pitches like in the same email, me and another person at TechCrunch, just so like I know, like um, my editor is Sarah Perez and we cover a lot of the same kind of companies, although there also is like, she has interests in things that I'm not super interested in and vice versa. But like if somebody sent a pitch to me and also Sarah, like in the same email, I wouldn't be like, how dare they put my editor on this email? I would just be like, oh yeah, it would make sense. We both cover the same general beat. Like it makes sense. But that's um, cool. I love that. (laughs) But I also think, I mean, I think it's a difference more so like, I understand when people are sending big email blasts where you just have a list of like, here's all of the consumer tech writers at TechCrunch and then you send it to everybody. But it would be weird if like, then after that I asked for more information and then decided, no, I'm going to pass on this and told them I was going to pass. And then they go and email my editor and they're like, hey, what about you? (laughs) Because odds are I've talked to my editor about it. Like odds are I've been like, hey, I'm kind of interested in this story, but I'm not sure. And then we'll like talk about it for a few minutes and then decide yes or no. And yeah, yeah. I think just like the more transparent people are, that kind of rubs me a better way, I guess. (laughs) It makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I've never um, 
maybe in my early days, I've included the editor and maybe a staff writer that writes about the same topic in an email, but I've not done that in such a long time. And I'm still kind, even Mm. though you just said that it could be a good tactic and it like you don't mind it I'm still so nervous about it and I don't know why (laughs) yeah I mean that's the thing and I guess that's the whole premise of this podcast is that I think that like different journalists will have different answers and different things that will like make them kind of like mad in a PR pitch or not yeah and like there's certain things like I don't know this is like a really weird example but um sometimes like I don't cover health or like the diet industry but I have a lot of problems with the diet industry generally and I'll get pitches for like stuff related to like this app can help you lose weight and I'm like I very much do not want to get these pitches and (laughs) I disagree with the I don't know maybe maybe cut that I don't know this I don't know how to explain this in a succinct way that doesn't go completely off topic. Well, that's why I think maybe this is a really good transition into what you cover in your Google document, Google document, in your Google Doc. mm -hmm. Um, I think... I have questions for you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just so nice to have. And I wish everybody put something like this together. Maybe Um, I'll preface by saying, so basically I made that document because... um, one of the other writers at TechCrunch, Christine Hall, had a document like this, and I saw it in her email signature, and I was like, I like that. I should do that. And at the beginning of this year, when news was a little slower than normal, just because it was like January 3rd or something, I just decided to take a little bit of time and make that document. And then she was inspired by another TechCrunch writer, Haya Camps, So there's just this chain of people being like, hey, that's a good idea. I should do that. But I don't know. I kind of, I was surprised at the response that the document got because I just kind of tweeted it. And then I keep getting PR people being like, hey, I saw your document. And I'm like, oh no, should I have like paid more (laughs) attention to it? Like, should I have, should I have been less like sassy in this document? No, (laughs) it's great. Oh my gosh, I was like literally laughing at what you said about (laughs) Web3. Which, I mean, I get so many pitches about like Web3 and the metaverse and I'm like, I've made this joke to my friends, so apologies to my friends that have to listen to me make these jokes, but my most controversial take is that I feel extremely ambivalent about crypto. Like, (laughs) I think it has a lot of problems. I think it has promise. I feel just kind of, I'm just sort of in the middle. I'm just like, yeah, a lot of it is bad, but some of it is bound to be like useful, maybe. And I think that's a really weird place to be almost because I think everyone's either like, I never want to hear about Ethereum ever again, or like so gung-ho on crypto. And I'm just kind of like, I've, I've written about it sometimes and I'm vaguely interested in it. But for the most part, I'm like, I don't know if on your end you realize this or like run into this, but I feel like there's like a very odd amount of like crypto focused and um, publicists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah. I, I saw <laughs> like someone kind of tweet. Spammy yeah. Like I saw someone way, tweet some before them. recording this, like someone should look into like 
in the PR industry, how come there's so many NFT publicists right now? Like, someone should check this out. And I'm like, yeah, even journalist friends of mine who don't write about tech get, like, a million emails about every NFT drop ever. And I think that also sours people on it because... Scam! Sounds like a scam. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like that's out of the scam playbook like you're just gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna spam people if you're a scam mm-hmm. put that spam, on the shirt yeah scammer's <laughs> gonna spam <laughs> scammer's gonna scam spammer's gonna scam yeah uh, exactly <laughs> uh how do you want to go through this doc brit like do you should we um let's see well we're gonna link to it that's for darn sure yeah. um i never curse on this thing so i was like do i curse um <laughs> I feel like you should curse more often. (laughs) I leave the cursing up to you, Jackie. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, Well, let's see. I think we've talked about everything that we needed to talk about as far as the pitch goes. I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything else around the pitch about the story of flocks that you wanted to point out, Amanda, before we move on to the Google Doc, because I forgot to do that. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I actually did have one more question about that, though. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) I am all over the place today, but now that I'm back to it, um, you're great you in- though. I like <laughs> you. It. Inc- you included some images in throughout the article, and you know the credit goes to Flox for that. What I thought was interesting was that there wasn't an image of the founder, um, hmm. and sometimes you know that's standard. Um, was there a reason for that? Like. A strategic reason or like anything like that or were you just more captivated by the photos that um, they like how were they provided how were the photos provided to you i should have thought more about how i'm going to phrase this question but that sounds they, great Ignore. yeah they emailed me the photos i think i don't know if they gave me photos of the founder they might have but um now i'm like looking back in my email no i see just In the email, they just gave me images of the app itself and some images that they took at, like, a party for the app. And I don't know. I know sometimes people like having photos of the founder in a story. I feel just sort of like, if they provide me with the photo, cool. If they don't, I'm not going to, like hunt them down and hold the story until I can get a picture of the founder. Cool. I actually really love the photos of the app itself. Um, Cause I wouldn't be inclined to like, I'd be nervous to download an app like this cause I'm so introverted, but this yeah. helps me better understand. Plus you need to have friends. Works. Just kidding. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I just realized there's like a white claw in the featured image. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> and there's um, like a group called sister wives. Oh, really? you know, it. You know, it's That's fine. Cool. It's a. It, I'm sure, it's like a joke. <laughs> yeah, you know. I like it. It's just Gen Zers being Gen Zers, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't understand it. I'm an elder millennial. <laughs> I'm a young millennial, but sometimes I I feel like with Gen Z, I'm like like a guy on a skateboard, like being like, "How do you do, fellow kids?" Yeah, <laughs> I I can I can relate. It, it seems like during the pandemic, all the I I, don't, I live in a college town, and all like the places I used to go to, like the restaurants and stuff. So during the pandemic, I stopped going out, and now like. 
well, you know, once vaccination happened and I started going out again, I was like, oh, all the people that work at the restaurants are now younger. And now I realize like everybody around me is all of a sudden a Zoomer, but they weren't Zoomers before the pandemic. Like when I would go out, it was all fellow, uh, like the younger millennials. So it is an interesting yeah. time period to be a Zoomer. They really yeah. did kind of just <laughs> go through the glow up, unfortunately, during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think culture, I think the story itself is culturally interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I think there's a lot of different things about this that we discussed that kind of just captivated my interest. Yeah. And yeah, it's a good story. Yeah. Bottom line. Yeah. Another thing I will say is that um, Jamie Lee, the founder who like this is her first time as a startup founder, I don't think she has like media training or anything, but like we had a very good conversation and she talked to me by herself, which like I think sometimes journalists feel a little weird when there's a PR person also on the call with yeah, the founder. Yep. And so I'm like, if this like 21 year old who has just raised a seed round for her first startup can talk to me and do a good job and just be like a normal person having a conversation and also like, I don't know, it was just like, be more like Jamie Lee. <laughs> yeah, less like Zuck and more like yeah. Jamie Lee. Everyone should be more like Jamie Lee and less like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I would not need to know anything about Jamie to agree with that statement. I don't think anybody should be like Zuck. I don't know. Maybe maybe behind the scenes, she's a very controversial figure. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I love that. Thank you. It's refresh. I'm sure it's refreshing because, yeah, I, I've worked with more serious PR people and, like, that drives me crazy. The whole, like, oh, we got to sit in on the meeting. I'm like, bullshit, mm-hmm. man. Maybe we should just, you know, prep them and let them go. Let them run with it and, uh, it's just so many things about it is mm-hmm. better like new PR versus I'm gonna just call it old school PR so I like this I really do yeah and I think also just I feel like both for founders basically anyone I interact with in my job I feel like I like when people act like a normal human being. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think sometimes there's just such a facade of like, I'm trying to get something from you and you're trying to get something from me. And I just like when people act like people. And I think that applies to emails also, where it's like, I don't know, sometimes, yeah. like, I think I got an email earlier today that was like, it was like the fourth follow-up and then they were like, (laughs) here's some new information about this guy. He coaches his daughter's softball team. And I was like, I don't need to know this. Why are you being weird? Uh, (laughs) I was like, that's cute. I don't know. (laughs) Random. I also feel bad when like, I try not to tweet like, I got this crazy email today, but I, I just get so many crazy emails. <laughs> and then I know that from PR people's perspective, it's like, oh no, the worst fear is that a journalist tweets about something I sent them. But it's like, unless if you, like, I, I think like I tweeted recently about someone who emailed me at 8 p.m., which when I say about, I'm like, I, I would never like call someone out like on main. But um, like, 
at like 8 p.m. they emailed me and they were like, can you break this exclusive for 9 a.m. tomorrow? And I'm like, what do you think I do between the hours of 8 p.m. and 9 a.m.? I'm just like playing video games and sleeping. Yeah. (laughs) What? That's wild. But I think if you're just a normal person and nice to people, then people will be nice to you. (laughs) That's my advice for life and PR. I feel a little bit of empathy for that person because who the heck is banging on their door to, you know, cause them oh, yeah. to, you know, need the feel the need to email you so late at night and have those expectations. That's wild. Yeah. Um, Bosses I, should also be nicer to people. Right. <laughs> so, I'm here with the hot takes. <laughs> One Thank other you. thing that you tweeted about was <laughs> how I needed to bring this up because yeah. it was like, what? Somebody emailed your mom? to pitch you okay tell us more so this actually thankfully wasn't a startup pitch this was like somebody trying to get in contact with somebody that I wrote about and like I've like used special software for like journalists where it's like here's how you remove your personal address from the internet because god forbid people get really really mad at you and people I don't know people are crazy out there so first (laughs) off like this person emailed me on three actually four different email addresses including an email address that does not exist and then also texted me and then so if somebody gets my personal phone number I'm like how did you get that if I didn't give it to you that freaks me out but then my mom was like oh, someone from insert place here just uh, texted me and they want to talk to you. And I was like, excuse me? That's weird. <laughs> so like, you found my phone number, but then also my mom's. But also I think they weren't like, hello, we would like to speak to your daughter. I think maybe just because like, I am related to my mom and we lived under the same roof for 18 years. Maybe like the weird websites that have everybody's address and phone number think I'm my mom and- they were just trying everything, but I was like, I don't want anyone to, like, leave my mom alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one for the books. <laughs> what yeah, the heck? I was shocked. <laughs> I don't like so, that. <laughs> I don't like it either. <laughs> I'm sorry that happened. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird, but, like, I hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> I hope not either. Here's to hoping. Yeah. <laughs> So in your Google Doc, uh, you do point out that you that your email is amandasilverlane at gmail.com, not at TechCrunch. Is yeah. there a reason for that? Or Yeah. So I to pull back the curtain a bit, I am a full-time contractor at TechCrunch. So I do not have a – I'm not like a formal salaried employee. Like, so I don't have um, like a TechCrunch email or anything. So basically, if you, particularly at TechCrunch, if you see somebody using like a Gmail, that's probably just what that means. But I do get people trying to email like Amanda at TechCrunch. And I'm like, I don't have that email. Right. (laughs) But yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, I basically like, I essentially work like, I mean, I personally schedule myself like I just kind of like the nine to five give or take schedule keyword give or take. So I basically am online as a 
like normal human being, but I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I just wanted to yeah. um, clarify that because I know a lot a lot of times people who write for specific publications are usually telling us not to avoid, you know, emailing them at their personal email. So yeah. that all makes sense though. Yeah, I would say generally email somebody at their work email unless in my case they're explicitly saying this is my email. Totally. Then yeah. Definitely exceptions um, to certain standard practices. Yeah, I'm like, I wonder how much email I never see get sent to like Amanda yeah. at Tetris. <laughs> I know. I wonder too. They should just give you an email. I know. Yeah, you should tell them that. No, <laughs> no, they're they're very they're very good to me. They're good people. Yay! I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I know Jack. You had a question about an email relevance or adjacent question, right? Oh yeah, I've got two. They're pretty straightforward. Um, the first one is, I noticed that you mentioned that you likely saw the email that the person has sent, even if you did not respond because you weren't interested. Does that mean that our follow-up's still on the table in your opinion? Or do you think it's yeah. kind of pointless to follow up? What are your thoughts on the follow-up? So I think just given my weird email habits of I'm going to mark it as read no matter what and I'm going to see it and if it catches my eye, I'm going to click on it. Like just being the inbox zero person, but I don't read every word of my email person that I am. Yeah, There are cases where like I'll read something, but then like it's a busy job. There's always, I'm being pulled in like five different directions at once. And there are times when maybe I read something and I'm like, that seems interesting. I'll look back at that. And then I forget. So I think like one follow-up is okay. Like, I think two follow-ups is like, I won't be annoyed about it. But when it gets past two, like, I'll have people follow up on the same pitch, like four or five, even six times. Oh and it's like, <laughs> it's overkill. Yeah, which at the same time, I understand the frustration of, like, you just want people to tell you no, but I think you can assume it's a no after, like, usually two, fine, you can try three, but I, but probably, if it's been two and no response, then I probably just am not gonna respond, but, um, when people pitch exclusives, I do try to respond, because I know that, like, again, with freelance journalism, like, I've been on the other side where, Maybe, like, I have an idea for an article, but it's very tied to the current news cycle, and I pitch it somewhere, and I want that editor to get back to me as soon as possible, because if they say no after two weeks and I didn't pitch it anywhere else, then, like, that news has come and gone, and my idea isn't interesting anymore. But, like, so in the case of exclusives, that kind of reminds me of that, so I do try to respond quickly on exclusives like within a day or so just to give that person an opportunity to try someone else well that's very thoughtful thank you <laughs> i try um the second question i have is pretty straightforward as well um you had mentioned at the bottom that if you can't find the correct email address for the person you want to reach out to to either go through the tip email so the general email address at TechCrunch or the contact box now 
that just instills a lot of anxiety in me. Yeah. Um, Where emails go to die. Yeah, I always imagine it's a big black hole. So you're telling me that if I like went to the TechCrunch website and let's say I filled out that thing, there is somebody who at least <laughs> is reading it? Is that true? I think you need to take this up with um, Christine because I think this was something that like <laughs> I just kind of like took from her document. Like I based my document off of hers. Okay. And I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know about the techcrunch.com slash got a tip, but the tips at TechCrunch is like an email that all the writers are um like aliased on. I don't know the term, but like like, I get emails that are sent to tips at TechCrunch, and I have them forwarded to a specific inbox and automatically marked as read because I would completely lose my mind if I did not do that because so many tips go there. Oh, and I, I do think, like, you have a far, far, far better chance of getting somebody to actually read or respond to your pitch if you send it to a direct reporter instead of tips at TechCrunch. But, like, if you're just if you're just really looking for like a last ditch effort, I don't know. I mean, that is an email that exists that people look at. <laughs> nice. So do you I so I know that you automatically mark it as red. Have you ever <laughs> just gone through it and found a good story or not really? Um I feel like sometimes something interesting will come into tips and then somebody will forward it to our like writers google group that is like a internal thing and i think in those cases i personally don't really look in the tips inbox that much usually usually i feel like i just have enough stuff that's sent to me directly that i i wish i had more time that i needed to go looking for stuff but yeah yeah but people do look at tips, but it is a much better option to just email somebody directly that covers what you're pitching. Cool. Well, I'm glad you painted this picture for me because I've always wondered. Me too. <laughs> That's cool. And I always felt bad for the person who had the job of just reading those emails. <laughs> if there yeah. was ever w- one person, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah, the person whose name is Tips. <laughs> And that's yeah. the email. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, Jackie, sorry. Did you have any other questions? Nah. I think I think those were the main ones that popped into my mind um, when reviewing the document. Otherwise, the document was freaking fantastic. I, you kind of answer the questions before people know to ask them, but it's good because um, I think even just reading that document, I can see why that one story captivated your eyes, like the story about flocks. It makes total sense to me. Not only is it like cool. creator economy specific, but also, you know, you cover social. I don't know. It just it checks all the boxes. I totally see. I see where you're coming from. And I think I think the document is a good idea. So shout out to Christine. Shout out to you. Shout out to anybody <laughs> who takes the time to do this because, you know, you're and already Ariella. busy as heck. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things where it's like when the news is like really like anxiety inducingly slow in like right after the new year. And it's like, oh, my God, what can I possibly do with my time? Yeah. <laughs> Which is very rarely something that happens. But I just noticed <laughs> Christine's document. document and <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you. Pretty soon, like all of the information you'll ever need to pitch a TechCrunch reporter reporter will be out there because we've also had like two other TechCrunch reporters on the podcast. So you all are making our lives so much easier. <laughs> and I'm and I'm sure that they probably said like very different things from me because again, ev- I mean, this stuff isn't an exact science and everybody's different and even like who knows, maybe a year from now, like right now in my pitch doc, it's like oh my gosh. Like I think that Web3 is a buzzword that people just throw around, but I'm also kind of interested in it. I don't know. And maybe a year from now, I'll be like, never send me anything with Web3 in it. Or I'll be like, I love crypto. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or I worry that like five years from now, we'll be pitching each other in the metaverse or something. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. (laughs) No. Maybe our brains will all be uploaded to supercomputer or whatever, and we won't even need our bodies anymore in five years. (laughs) And podcasting will just be pointless. It'll send me an email on my, like, AR glasses, and it'll pop up, like, in my my glasses. And, yeah. Man, what a nightmare. Um, (laughs) I will say the one last thing about TechCrunch writers. Yes, I love that everybody is very different about how they want to be pitched. But I will say all of you guys have been very good about being succinct about what you want and what you need um Mm -hmm. i I think the most efficiently ran podcast we podcast episode we ever had in my opinion was that tech crunch the first tech crunch person with josh constein yeah oh my god he was just like these are the oops my my ear man my ear my ears are weird sizes i think anyway um yeah just the whole like these are the three things you need to know about pitching your startup and they were very like it was just very thoughtful and specific, and mm-hmm. I feel like you have your own flavor of that. And interesting, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> cool. Natasha, who do we? Natasha, Natasha, yeah. We had Natasha on recently. We haven't Mascarene has Mascarene has. We're gonna publish her episode soon, but I feel like she also gave some pretty interesting tips that were unique. But like you said, I think you mm-hmm. kind of hit the nail on the head with the it's not an exact science, which is why we do the show to begin with because mm-hmm. that's what we're finding. Yeah. There's no very right nuance. Wrong. Yep, yeah. very nuanced. Mm-hmm. And the pitches have been, I love seeing the pitches because then I'm like, oh, like pitches can look wildly different from each other. Um, it's kind of like getting down to the strategy of like targeting the right person and then making sure you understand what they need for a story and making sure it's a good story for them. It's not necessarily yeah. so much about these little, like, should I send it on a Tuesday? Which I think is what you're getting at. Yeah, and I think also with that, it's, like, maybe there's a day where I'm, like, heads down working on a story and I get a really mm-hmm. good pitch, but I just don't, like, but then maybe I'm, like, eh, I'm busy. I don't want to take this on right now. But then maybe there's another day when I'm, like, a bit more loose in my schedule and take a bit more time with my emails and, like, I don't even know what days look like that for me. There's no way that a publicist is going to know what days I'm like on deadline and what days I'm like looking for new stuff. So it's like the question of, do I send it on a Tuesday or a Wednesday? It's like, (laughs) I don't even know the answer to that. Like, I I don't know what my schedule looks like. I'm just kind of going with the news and seeing what happens. What is time? Yeah. Yeah. What is time? Well, on that note, um, we are reaching almost the hour mark so if you have any shout outs prepared we can go into that um yeah i i was just gonna shout out like music and entertainment publicists generally because before doing tech reporting i was 
more so in the music realm, which is funny cool. because then I still get a lot of music pitches and then they're next to like startup pitches. But um, <laughs> there's like, in particular, I'm just a big fan of like, people starting their own businesses and like using that as a way to like take control over their lives and their like why work for a bad boss when you can work for yourself and there's two examples of that um no earbuds which is run by jamie coletta and riot act media which is run by nathan walker and these are both people that i worked with when i was like 19 and like writing for like weird local music blogs and I'm just like, damn, like shout out to all the PR people that had to work with me when I was 19 and didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Me too. I I feel like, I don't know. I think there's just so much passion in music PR and I feel bad because I think like there's so many, like there's so much fewer music journalists than tech journalists just due to where there is money in the industry. And it feels, like, really hard to pitch somebody on a band you're really excited about when, like, you think this band is awesome and you're so excited to get their stuff out there. And then, like, I have friends that are freelance journalists that are just like, I would love to write about this album, but nobody will commission me. So sorry, dude. And it, like, I don't know. Just shout out to music. (laughs) I love that. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram.